want to share a message with you, which I've been scaring in my heart for some time, and I kind of scheduled to preach it this Sunday when I knew I'd be back. And, and uh, so this is something that's been in my heart for a while, and I thought I'll share it with you this morning before we transition. Next month onwards, we're going to transition into a time when we want to pursue God for the supernatural uh, in the church, in our lives, and we really want to push in that direction and move in that direction. So we, we will be trans- transitioning into that. Uh, the message I'm going to preach this morning is probably kind of 30 years ahead of its time, at least for me personally, because I think this is the kind of message I would preach, you know, somewhere 30 years from now when I'm getting ready to say goodbye, farewell, and hand over you know, everything to the next generation. And this is one of the kind of farewell type messages and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, just preaching it today as a practice. No, really, I mean it today. Uh, and uh, I also understand that this is the kind of message I'm, that I would be bringing to an urban church. I wouldn't preach this message if I was speaking in a village or in a town somewhere else in India. But the audience we have today is an audience that needs to hear this. I'm going to be preaching, so you won't have much time to turn in with me in your Bible. So you're, uh, you can just try to write down the verses of Scripture. Just pay attention. You will get this entire message on our website. And also you can buy the CD next Sunday. So uh, I'm just going to be preaching this to you, going real fast, so just pay attention. And I love the Word of God to sink into your heart. Uh, As our key text, let's go to Proverbs 22 and verse 28. Proverbs 22, verse 28, the Bible says, Do not remove the ancient landmark or boundary line. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. So don't move the ancient landmark. The ancient boundary line which your fathers have set. This morning, I want to preach on a message that's called ancient landmarks. So tell your neighbor, ancient landmarks. You know, the world around us is changing, in case you haven't noticed. You know, there are lots of changes in the way we live. You know, us adults, we're, those of us who are 25 years above we consider ourselves to be adults and, you know, we're very different from the millennials, those born after 85, 1985 onwards. They are the millennials. They are the natives of this world. We are the immigrants in their new world. I mean, just think about how different our life is, was compared to theirs when we grew up. You know, imagine, you remember the time when we had only black and white television? And only one channel called Durdashan. Imagine the millennials who are growing up, the kids and teens. I mean, man, they've got 99 channels. NBC, Pogo, Star World, etc., 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 etc. And I imagine when we grew up, we listened to music from spools and records. The millennials listened to it on MP4 and uh, iPods and DVDs. And you tell them, you sound like a broken record. They won't know what you're talking about. Because they've never seen a record in their life. You know, we grew up with ambassadors, Premier Padminis and Marutis and the Tata and the Birla. The, the millennials are growing up with Toyota, Honda, BMW and Microsoft and IBM. We grew up drinking Thumbs Up, Bajil and Fanta. They grew up drinking Coke, Diet Coke and Pepsi. And the rest of the stuff. You know, when we want to have coffee, we went to the Kamath restaurant nearby. When they want to have coffee, they go to Coffee Day. I mean, like, just two different worlds. You know, if we had a dial phone at home, and that was a big thing. And neighbors used to come home to use our dial phone. These millennials, millennials, I mean, they would never dial the phone. They use the cell phones, SMS, PDAs. That's their worlds. You talk about dialing a phone, they don't know what you're talking about. You know, I never worked on a computer until I was in engineering college. And the first PowerPoint presentation I did, I did when I was like in my 20s with, you know, a lot of effort. Today, my 10-year-old son, Joshua, does uh, animated presentations on PowerPoint. And he searches on Google and he does his research on Wikipedia. And my seven-year daughter, Ruth, is not too far behind You know, when we played growing up, we played with friends on our streets. The millennials, when they play, they play with friends across halfway across the world through instant messaging. 
blogs and online communities like Orkut, MySpace, Facebook. So they could be playing games with, you know, friends halfway across the world. And think about the way we celebrated birthdays. You know, when grandma celebrated her birthday, she made a cake from scratch. When mom celebrated her birthday, she used cake mix. When you and I celebrate birthdays, we went to sweet chariot. When the kids celebrate their birthday, they go to, you know, McDonald's or KFC. Cake is not the important thing. It's the experience that counts. The world around us is changing. And the world in which the teenagers and kids are growing up is a world that's totally different to us. We are immigrants in their world. They are the natives. They know exactly how their world works. Some of us are still recovering from the culture shock. Think about the changes in our city. You know, somebody, an MBBS doctor, maybe they've done post-graduation, they get a job in St. John's, they feel so proud about it, they're earning 3,000 rupees a month. A college school or high school dropout today earns like 15,000 a month working in a call center. Something to think about. The biggest shops we went to were called supermarkets or BDA complexes. Today, the kids and teens shop in Forum and Central, air-conditioned malls. There have been tremendous changes in lifestyle and can, you know, in our city. And, and there's, there's also the change in worldview. Sociologists tell us that in the last 40 years, uh, the worldview, and especially in the recent years, the way the world perceives uh, things has changed. The worldview has changed. Culture has changed. We've moved from what they call a modern worldview to a postmodern worldview. Now here's the difference. You and I growing up, we grew up in a modern worldview with a modern culture. The kids and teens growing up today are growing up in a postmodern world with a postmodern worldview and a postmodern culture. Here's the difference, you know. In our modern world, it began with enlightenment. Scientific method was the norm. And through science and intellectual integrity, we thought we could solve the problems of the world. And that's how we approached things. Our truth was objective. Truth was self-evident. It was black or white. In our postmodern world, things are very different. Relativity and not reason is the norm. One of our contemporary thinkers says this, there are no facts, only interpretations. There is freedom to express the inability to receive correction when you're wrong. The power of story or personal experience supersedes empirical evidence and objective truth. Tolerance is the way. Even when truth is compromised, then God is whoever you want Him to be. That's the postmodern worldview in which our kids and teens are growing up. So, you know, the kids and teens are living in a world where, you know, they shop around for everything, including beliefs, values, and lifestyle. You've got a lot of different things to choose from. You create your own values because there's nothing right and there's nothing wrong. And these winds of change are also blowing through the church across Christendom today. You know, there are several changes that have swept into the church. The way we do church, we've gone from stained glass steeple buildings to auditoriums like this. And some have moved on to air-conditioned auditoriums and beyond. We've gone from hymns to choruses to Contemporary worship, we've gone from hymn books to chorus song books to chorus sheets to OHPs to LCD projectors. And we've gone from drama, skits in church and musicals to video presentations in church. Things are changing. There are changes in the message being preached. From the Reformation in the 1400s when Martin Luther stood up and said a man is justified by faith. And through the grace of God, we've come a long way when the Word of God has been expounded, addressing different areas of life. And that's wonderful. That's powerful. The Word of God has become plain and clear. Nobody today can say, I don't know what the Bible says about this area of my life. We've come a long way in, in what has been preached from the pulpit. And yet there are dangerous things happening in the pulpit because uh, people are, are, are just moving away from the Word of God uh, to messages that are, you know, postmodern philosophy, humanism, and uh, feel-good messages just to pump up people so that crowds can come Sunday after Sunday to receive a, a, a psychological massage of the soul and a comfortable couch to lay on in the church. 
and we see changes in the delivery of the message. You know, two things characterize the millennial generation, uh, the information, people living in the information age. First thing is this, they no longer want to only listen, they want to have all their senses engaged. So people come to church not to listen to a sermon, but to have a ex life-changing experience, to have all their senses engaged in what, in, in, in the, in what happens in church. And secondly, it's very ironic that with the increase in information, the attention span is also decreasing. So a 45-minute message is a marathon message. Paul preached all night. It's been a drastic reduction in sermon lengths. However, on the positive side, we are, we are seeing increasing number of churches uh, take advantage of, of our latest technology and creative ways to bring the Word of God to impact this, all the senses of the listeners so that they go back with a lasting impression of the message not only heard but seen, touched, felt and experienced in more than one way so that they can retain the word. And that's wonderful to do. I believe all people's churches is, is, is doing something of that nature as we, as we you know, work in several different ways to convey messages across to people who are part of the church. And yet there is the danger of us shifting from our primary focus of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and becoming so focused on how creative we can be in bringing the Word of God and, and how entertaining we can be in attracting the attention of people where in some churches we have literally moved to becoming entertainment Sunday morning free entertainment centers where people come to be entertained and the pulpit is occupied more by entertainers, orators, dramatists, performers instead of apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. And evangelists. So that's things happening in Christendom. So I want to go back to our opening verse here in Proverbs 22 and verse 28 and look at some more related verses. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 28, do not remove the ancient landmark. The ancient landmark simply refers to the boundary line that defines a piece of property. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Again, in Proverbs 23, verse 10, the Bible says, Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. So the ancient landmark is simply a boundary line, a fence that is put to demarcate a piece of property that belongs to a particular individual. And this boundary line or this fencing was put up there by the father saying, This is the piece of property that belongs to me. Or, and it's passed down from generation to generation. And the Bible instructs us, do not remove the ancient landmark. Don't remove this fence. Don't remove this boundary line. Why? Several other places in Deuteronomy 19.14, it says, You will not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land. Again, in Deuteronomy 27.17, the Bible says, Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. In Hosea 5, in verse 10, the Bible says, The princes of Judah, meaning the leaders, those who are like those who remove a landmark, I will pour out my wrath on them like water. So the leaders were guilty of moving the landmarks, the boundary lines, and God says, I'm going to judge them. The Bible says, cursed is the one who moves this landmark, who moves this boundary line. Now, I understand that this is a literal, in a literal sense, it's talking about the boundary line demarcating a piece of property. But I want to take that as a background and apply it to our spiritual lives and bring it into context in our modern world where there are winds of change blowing in the world and blowing through the church and we are in a in a very precarious position where we might tend to move the ancient landmarks that have been set in the Word of God. And that's the message I want to bring to us this morning. There are ancient landmarks which have been set for you and me in the Word of God. These ancient landmarks, these fences, these boundary lines indicate safe areas to walk in. I'm very safe. If I walk within this fence, if I walk within this boundary line, and yet it indicates to me that if I cross this fence, if I 
try to move this ancient landmark, if I try to push it beyond where it's supposed to be, I am stepping into territory that God for Himself forbids. And it means that there could be winds of deception that would try to cause me to move this ancient landmark. And if I am not careful, I would end up moving these ancient landmarks and incurring, according to the Word of God, the wrath of God on my life for moving an ancient landmark. So the key phrase that I want to challenge us with this is this, this morning, that in a changing world... There are sacred boundaries we must not cross. And there are godly traditions that we must not lose. Amen? Let's say this together. There are sacred boundaries I must not cross. There are godly traditions I must not lose. In a changing world, this is so important. You know, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 31 and verse 21, God tells His people, set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart toward the highway. In other words, God is telling His people, you know, I want you to make landmarks. I want you to draw the lines very clearly. I want you to draw, raise up the fences very clearly so that your heart can be set on the highway and you will not get away from it. Raise up your highways. Raise up your landmarks. Set up the boundary lines. Make it so clear and so plain so that your heart will not go away from the highway in which you and I are supposed to walk. Now, you know, about traditions that are man-made traditions that we can just happily do away with. You know, traditions that say that, you know, when you come to church, you have to wear purple clothes. By all means, please, discard that. Traditions that say that you've got to, you know, only... You know, you've got to wear a gold cross around your neck to show that you're a Christian. And all, all those man-made traditions, we can happily disregard, discard. For, uh, Jesus himself said in Mark 7 and verse 13, that the Pharisees made the word of God of no effect through their traditions. And Paul writes in Colossians 2 and verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheats you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. So, these traditions of man which try to bind us, hold us in bondage, we can happily discard. And yet here's what the Bible says concerning godly traditions. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, Paul says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. So there are godly traditions we must keep. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15 again says, Paul is telling the, the believers, Brethren, stand firm and hold the traditions which you were taught. Hold on to the traditions that you've been taught. Again, he repeats this in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. He says, But we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which he received from us. So that's very strong. He says, look, if you find a brother who's not walking according to the traditions which we've handed down, withdraw yourself from him. That's pretty strong. There are sacred boundaries that we cannot cross. There are godly traditions that we cannot lose. Amen. But this brings us to a very, very interesting issue. And as much as I realize that there are ancient landmarks that I must not move, sacred boundaries that I must not cross, and godly traditions that I must not lose. The issue is this. The world around me is changing. If I'm not careful, I'll become outdated in the new world. And I will no longer be able to be relevant and relate to the new world around me. So the issue is this, how do we become relevant in a changing culture? How do we stay relevant? How do you as an individual, how do we as Christians stay relevant in the new world? That's a challenging issue. And then as Christians, we know the scriptures. We struggle with scriptures like these. Listen very carefully. John 17 verses 14 through 18. Jesus said, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. You're in it, but you're not off it. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the world. James 4, 4 says, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy with God. 
And 1 John 2, 15, 16, 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world because whatever is in the world is not of the Father. So you and I struggle with these kinds of scriptures which tell us don't love the world. Don't be a friend of the world. Don't conform yourself to the world. And yes, we want to do it, but at the same time, we cannot disconnect from the world. We cannot become irrelevant because the day we become irrelevant, we cease being salt and light. We can no longer have influence and impact the world. So the challenge is this. How do we stay relevant in the changing world? Now, you and I can take one of three positions. You and I can say, well, I'm going to avoid the new world. I'm going to stick to drinking coffee from comets. Coffee day is unholy ground. I'm going to stick to using the dial phone because the mobile phone is of the devil. It has 666 in it. I mean, we can avoid the new world. But the thing is this, if you and I avoid the new world, you and I will not be able to influence, improve, or transform it. The second position you and I can take is this. We will drift along with the world. Hey, new world, jump in it. Let's go. Wonderful. But if you drift along with the world, how can you change the wrong that is in it? So the third position, the third stance is what I want to invite you and me to take. That you and I must come to a place where we engage, we explore, and we employ the changing culture of this world to establish timeless truth in it. Amen. That you and I will be bold enough to step into this new world and say, I'm going to try to understand this world. I'm going to explore it. I'm going to employ what I find in it to establish the timeless truth of God in this new world, in this new culture. You know, any culture is not good and it's not bad. Every culture has good elements in it and bad elements in it. And it's up to you and me to discern and distinguish what's good and what's bad. Amen. But culture in itself is not wrong. It just has some good elements in it and some bad elements. And now look at how Paul reacted in his day. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, he says, You know, though I am free of all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without law, as without law, yet not being without law to God. In other words, he says, you know, I become all things to all people, that I might by some means save some. If they are Jewish, I become like them. You know, if they are hard rock, punk-headed, skin-headed people, I become like them. You know, I become all things to all people, yet without disobeying the law of God, without going past these ancient landmarks, without crossing the sacred boundaries, without losing those godly traditions, I become all things to all people. In other words, I enter their worlds. I step into their world. I become like them, so that by all means, I might win them. Amen. Continuing that same thought in the next chapter in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, verses 32 and 33, he says, I give no offense neither to the punk-headed, the skin-headed, the pub-goers. I give no offense to any of these people. I don't offend them. It's in the modern APC version. It's not yet published. It's okay. Just as verse 33, just as I also please... All men and all things, not for my own profit, but for the profit of many that they may be saved. So he's saying, look, you know, I'm, I don't want to offend these people. I don't want to offend these skinheads. I don't want to offend these whatever kinds of people you might find around in our, in our city. I want to offend them. I want to please them, meaning I want to win their hearts. Not to get them to come after me. That's not the purpose. If I'm doing that purpose, my motives are wrong. But I'm doing it because I want to win them to the Lord. But notice his approach. His was, I will step into their world. Amen. 
I like what Reggie Joyner, the founder of Family Wise, how he defines relevance. And I want you to listen to it very carefully because I think it's really good. He says, relevance is using what is cultural to say what is timeless. Relevance is using what is cultural to say what is timeless. Find out what's going on in this new world out there. In the world in which our kids and teens are growing up. Find out what's happening in their world, in their culture. Use what is cultural to bring in what is timeless. We must use what is cultural to say what is timeless. The world is changing. What worked yesterday may not work today. And yet I understand that there are dangers in doing this. There are dangers in this, obviously. Because we need to have enough discernment to know what in the culture is good, which I can adapt and use, and what in the culture is wrong, which I must discard. Amen. So this morning, as we talk about ancient landmarks, I want to address some of the winds of change that are blowing through specific areas of our life in the area of personal life and character, marriage and family, the workplace, church life and ministry. I want to address some winds of change that are blowing. Obviously, I won't be able to address all of them in a single message. But my objective is this, that to convey to us the understanding that not everything in this new world is wrong. Not everything in this new culture is wrong. There are winds of change which we must adjust and adapt to, explore, engage, and employ to bring in the timeless truth of the Word of God. And yet we must have enough understanding that there are some winds of change which are dangerous, which do tend to have cause us to try to push the ancient landmark, which might try to force us to cross sacred boundaries and rob us of our godly traditions, and we must learn to navigate through those winds of change and stay on course. Amen. And not only do I desire for us to receive that understanding, but I also want us to be challenged to carry our ancient landmarks into the world. Amen. The world needs people like you and like me who have inside of us something that says there are ancient landmarks I should not move. There are sacred boundaries I should not cross. And there are godly traditions I will not lose. And this changing world will never, never, never change that. The world needs those kind of people. I want to challenge you and me to take these ancient landmarks with us into the world because that's the only way you and I are going to be salt and light. Just imagine a people who enter into the realm of business and government and education and sports and media and entertainment and fashion and inside them, they are standing beside ancient landmarks which they say, I refuse to remove. They are inside them, they are sacred boundaries which they will never cross. And inside them are godly traditions which they will never leave, release. And these people are invading the realms of our culture. These are the people who are going to be salt and light. Amen. I want to invite you and me to be that kind of people. So let's talk quickly about these things. You know, ancient landmarks for personal life and character. I just want to touch about a few. There's so many other things we could talk about. But let's hit upon a few things in life and character. These are landmarks that you should not remove, that we should not remove. These are sacred boundaries we must not cross. And these are godly traditions we must not lose. What are those? Holiness. Last Sunday, Pastor George preached... A great message on holiness. And I just want to reemphasize that. You know, the Bible teaches us in 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16 that, you know, as obedient children, the Bible says, do not conform yourself to the former lusts, but he who has called you is holy. Be holy in your conduct. Because he said, be holy for I'm holy. Holiness in our lives is non-negotiable. It's an ancient landmark we will not remove. It's a sacred boundary we will not cross. It's a godly tradition we will not lose. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue peace with all men and holiness with which no one will see the Lord. 
So everything we say and do and wear and the way we live, they must manifest, they must adhere to the standards of holiness described for us in the Bible. This, this is a non-negotiable. You know, Jesus was very comfortable sitting with tax collectors and sinners, and yet he never compromised his holiness. You and I must be like that. Not be afraid to step into this new world. Not be afraid to, you know, be like the world. We can smell like them. We can dress like them. But we don't compromise on our holiness. Amen? When I say smell like them, I mean wear the same kind of perfume or cologne. In case you're thinking of something else. Women, you know, especially in the way you dress. There are two important things the Bible, the ancient landmark requires. Modesty and godliness. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 says, you know, women must adorn themselves in modest apparel and in a way that demonstrates godliness. Now, this is an ancient landmark. You and I can't compromise. It doesn't matter which part of the world you're in. You may be, you know, in the west, in the east, north or south. The ancient landmark is the same. The way you dress must be modest and must demonstrate godliness. The ancient landmark doesn't change across culture. Another area, another ancient landmark that you, must, you and I should have in our personal life and character is integrity. This is a landmark, ancient landmark we will not remove. Amen. Just encourage me a little bit, please. Amen. Proverbs 10 and verse 9 says, and I don't know whether you're very angry at me for preaching this message. <laughs> Proverbs 10 verse 9 says, He who walks with integrity walks securely. He who walks with integrity walks securely. This is our landmark, an ancient landmark. We will not move this. This is a boundary we will not cross. And this is a sacred godly tradition we will not lose. I will walk with integrity. No, no questions on it. Hard work is another ancient landmark that we must maintain in our personal lives. Proverbs 10 and verse 4 says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. You know, sometimes we get enamored by the instant success that we see in the new world. Imagine the 23-year-old Mark Zuckerberg, a Harvard dropout, founder of Facebook.com. In two years, he's worth more than 15 million. So we look at these kinds of successes and say, wow. I mean, he hasn't even finished college. Like the Bill Gates of the second web boom. So we look at these kinds of success stories and, you know, we also want Instant success. And we start going looking for instant success. But hey, the ancient book says, the hand of the diligent makes rich. Amen. As in Premji, Chairman of Vipro, you know, he works 80 hours a week. And uh, if you want to be part of his, his team, one of the first questions he asks you is, how many hours of work do you week? How many hours of work do you work a week? he made it to be a tongue twister. And if you want to be part of his team, his leadership team, it's understood that he expects you to work 60 to 70 hours a week. It's a known thing. I'm just using him as an example to illustrate the fact that success is not cheap. Priorities is another landmark, an ancient land. We need to maintain our priorities. They are being constantly challenged in this new world. And yet the ancient landmark says in Mark 12, 29 to 31, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first commandment. There's no compromising on this priority in my life. The ancient landmark says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. That's my priority. So in a world that seems to want to redefine your priority, you and I must maintain it. The ancient landmark. Luke 12, 15 tells us that, you know, who we are is more important than what we have. Jesus said, you know, a man's life consists more. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. Priorities. Maintain it. Testimony. We must, as believers, maintain our testimony. We cannot compromise our testimony in this new world. The Bible tells us that we must sow forth the praises of God who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen. 
Thank you for the few amens. The other area of ancient landmarks I just want to touch upon is marriage and family. You know, marriage is an institution ordained by God. It's a lifelong covenant. It's not like changing a shirt every day. Amen. That's the ancient landmark. It's a lifelong covenant. Accountability. This understanding of freedom is very dangerous because you can ruin an organization if everybody does what they think is their understanding of freedom. But I think organizationally, real freedom is this, that the organization gives you enough room for you to use all your capabilities and abilities to increase the value of the organization. That is freedom. That they allow you to exercise your skills without putting unnecessary constraints and unnecessary interference. That's true freedom. And the Bible teaches us in Ephesians 6 and verse 7, and there's a lot more the Bible teaches about the workplace. I'm just using this one verse of Scripture. That at the work, we must do with goodwill doing service. That means when I work, I must work with goodwill, not as out of a selfish intent. How much can I get? Because the more I get, I feel the more free I am. The company is empowering me. That's not right. When you, when you and I work, we must work with goodwill doing service. I want to serve this company with goodwill. I want to do my best. Use all my abilities, creative ideas, and do it to increase the value of this organization. And I do it as to the Lord and not to men. Another important thing in the workplace is moral relativism and situational ethics. Because in the postmodern world, remember, there's no black and white. There is no... True and untrue. There are only shades of gray. And so in the workplace, morality is relative. And ethics depends on the situation. It could change from breakfast to lunch to dinner. But as you and I, as God's people, you understand that the ancient book says, He who walks with integrity walks securely. This is an ancient landmark that you and I cannot remove. It's a sacred boundary you and I cannot cross. And it's a godly tradition you and I cannot lose in the workplace. And so for us, morality is absolute. And ethics doesn't change during the day. Amen. So professionals, you and I must influence our world, not merely be influenced by it. I want to challenge you. Don't just make a living, make a difference. Two more things and we close. The boundary line is insights. Ancient landmarks for church life. Now think about music. Thank God for contemporary music. Amen. Thank God for the freedom to engage our whole, all our senses in the worship of God. And that's the way God wants it. For you to dance a little bit or as much as you want. For you to be able to sing, for you to be able to worship God and thank God for contemporary music that it, can, it has godly songs and music that engages the new generation. And yet, and as much as we know this is not wrong, we must be careful about some of the music that's coming up. We must be careful not to elevate music beyond the experience of God. Because the purpose of music and the purpose of this song is for us to experience God, not to glorify the music and the song itself. Amen. And this is the ancient landmark in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 19. God speaks to Moses and he says, you know, write down this song. So he's telling Moses, Moses, write this song. Moses, songwriter. Words came from heaven. Write down the song for yourselves. To teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths. That this song may be a witness for me to them. So what's the purpose of songs? God says, I want you to teach them something. I want you to put my word in their mouth so that when they sing these songs, it will make them think about me and what I have done for them. 
That's the purpose of songs. So we must evaluate and judge. And as much as contemporary Christian music is good and we want to welcome it, but we need to evaluate the songs that are going out there. Does it teach me about God? Or is it just the great music that's, 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 that's in it? Does it teach me about God? Does it remind me about who He is and what He has done? Or is it just pampering my soul? And then let's not neglect the grand hall hymns of the faith. Now hymns was really theology in song. The hymns that were written some hundreds of, hundreds of years ago, hymns are filled with such deep meaning and theology which some of our contemporary songs can never come near to. They pale in comparison to the grand old hymns of the faith. Let us not lose these grand old hymns. Ephesians 5.19 says, We must speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making, singing and making melody to the, in our heart to the Lord. So in my making melody in my heart to the Lord, I need psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Let's not lose the hymns of the faith. Another aspect of church life that I want to address as an ancient landmark is discipline. You know, most pastors today are afraid to use their shepherd's rod. Imagine a shepherd without a rod and staff. What kind of sheep would you have? The shepherd needs a rod and he needs a staff to guard, to protect, to guide his sheep. But today churches do not want their shepherd to use a rod because it's not stylish. It doesn't fit in with the postmodern view of thinking which says every man has a right to freedom and he doesn't need to be corrected. You know, in the medical world, we, uh, we have what is called palliative care. When a person is terminally ill, uh, you provide palliative care so that at least the last few days of their life will be as comfortable as possible on earth. And that's good for the medical world. But listen, we can't provide palliative care when it comes to spiritual things. Because what good is it if a person's life is comfortable on earth and we just help him end up ending in hell? What Jesus taught us to do was this in Matthew 5. He said, Matthew 5, 29 and 20, 30, he said, If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. We need some pastors who will pluck out eyes and cut off hands. Because Jesus told us to do that. Or at least help people to do it to themselves. Just to be safe. But today... Sad to say, most pastors don't have a sword. They don't have a rod. They don't have a staff. Because it's not stylish. It's not contemporary. We've lost an ancient landmark in this whole effort. So I request you, church, as you allow me to be your pastor, allow me to use my rod and staff for our good, to guide, correct, and protect us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.21, Should I come to you with a rod or in love? So there's a time when a spiritual leader comes in love, but there's a time when he also has to come with a rod. You can't have one without the other. We believe in abundance of grace, but we also believe in godly discipline. Let us not sacrifice adherence to godly living in the name of grace, and neither should we go overboard on discipline and forget the grace of God, because without the grace of God, none of us would be where we are. We need a balance of both. Submission to leadership is another ancient landmark I want to address here. In the postmodern world, the words respect, honor, submission, and obedience are bad words. Because in this postmodern world, everything is relative. The law is what I want it to be. So how can you say I'm breaking the law because when I make my own laws? That's postmodern thinking. But you and I cannot fall into that. We must learn submission to God-appointed leadership. Here's the ancient landmark. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who have authority over you and be submitted because they watch, over, watch out for your souls. And they must give an account for you. That's the landmark. 
The last area that I want to address is ministry. Ancient landmarks for ministry. I just want to touch again on a few areas. We can't cover all things. But think about the clothing. You know, we've gone a long way from preachers wearing priestly robes to wearing suit and tie to casual clothes. And we must not judge our pastor by the clothes he wears. Because he just could be sheep in wool's clothing. Amen. What's more important than what they wear is their character. It's their, the integrity of the message and it's the anointing they release. Amen. So don't be surprised if your pastor shows up in t-shirt and jeans. Just, just getting you ready. Amen. Manners. You know, I'm so concerned about some of the things we hear and see about what's happening in the church today. That in an effort to be cool and casual, uh, preachers, ministers, we end up belittling moral standards in ministry. I mean, here are some things. Can you imagine a pastor standing in front of, uh, you know, this is like several thousand member congregation, a large church in the United States. Standing up in front of his congregation and talking about how many times he has sex with his wife just to show how cool he is. Can you imagine a pastor who's already divorced four times? He's in his fifth marriage. And he's got a television ministry, pastoring. These are things going on in our modern world. Somewhere, we have become negligent of the ancient landmark and the requirement that God has for those who stand behind the pulpit. Here's what the ancient landmark says. It says in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5, that if a man desires the position of a bishop, meaning any, any spiritual leader, the word bishop in the Greek is episkopos, simply means it's, it's, a, it's a synonymous word with uh, overseer. Simply means a spiritual elder. So it could be a pastor, just any other leader, spiritual leadership in the church. See, here's the requirements. Here's the ancient landmark. If a man desires the office of a bishop, a spiritual leader, he desires a good work. A bishop, a spiritual leader, must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior. Good behavior. Hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission. If he doesn't take care of his house, how can he take care of the church of God? That's the ancient landmark. That's an ancient landmark we cannot remove. That's a sacred boundary we cannot cross. And that's a godly tradition we cannot lose. But you and I say, well, you know, even preachers are men. Yes, God knew you and I were men. And that's why he gave us this requirement. Knowing fully well that you and I are mortal men, God set the standard. And if we don't have meet this standard, we have no right to stand behind a pulpit and preach. But somewhere, our conscience has become so seared. Our, 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 our spiritual life has become so numb that we dare to stand behind a pulpit and demonstrate so casual behavior when God has set a high standard. An ancient landmark we must not lose in manners. Coming to the third area of message in ministry. Message. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.17. that He said, we are not as many who peddle the word of God. But as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. So he says, we do not peddle the word of God. What does it mean to peddle the word of God? We do not adulterate the word of God. Meaning, we do not take the word of God and, and you know, kind of massage it with the humanistic ideas with um, postmodern philosophies so that it can become palpable to the audience. We don't do that. We teach sound doctrine is what Paul said. But in so many pulpits today, in an effort to be relevant to the new world, we end up peddling the word of God. We end up massaging the word of God with humanistic ideas, with modern philosophies, just in order to keep the congregation in. To keep them coming back. And Paul warned us about it in 2 Timothy 4 verses 2 to 4. He said, you know, the time will come when people will not be able to receive sound doctrine. And what they will want will be people who will speak to them according to their desires. 
They will have itching ears. Meaning they will heap up, they will elevate preachers who speak to them the things they want to hear and not sound doctrine. He warned us about this. So we cannot evaluate the validity of a message by the number of people who, who are in the audience or who subscribe to that message. Every message must be evaluated in the light of the Word of God. That's the standard. Sri 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 Ravi Shankar draws a stadium full of people. It doesn't mean what he says is the truth. Jesus himself didn't soft pedal the message of the kingdom. In fact, his altar call was pick up your cross and follow me. Our altar calls are come up, you'll get blessed. Jesus said, come on. If you want to follow me, take your cross. Deny yourself. When Jesus preached, here's, here's the response he had. John 6, verses 66 and 67 says, From that time, many of his disciples went away and walked with him no more. And he turned to his twelve and said, Do you also want to go away? That's the response he got to his preaching. Everybody left. He was left with the twelve and he wasn't sure if they were going to stay either. But today, we peddle the word of God because we want to make sure that next Sunday the crowd is bigger than this Sunday. But you know, in the life and ministry of Jesus, multitudes still flocked to him. Why? Because he, they knew he was speaking the word of the Father. And he was doing the works of the Father. I believe that if we will preach sound doctrine and I believe if we will just stick with the truth and give it as the truth, it may be a double-edged sword, it may be a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces, it may be a fire that burns a chaff, but if we keep doing that, people will come because eventually people want the truth. We don't need to massage the Word of God to make it appeal to people. The last area I want to touch about in ministry is methods. The ancient landmark. The ancient landmark which you and I cannot remove. The sacred boundary you and I cannot cross. And the godly tradition that you and I must hold on to in concerning the method we use is to preach the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit. Brilliant apologetics cannot replace it. Powerful multimedia presentations cannot substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. Props on stage like these are no substitute. For the demonstrations of the Holy Spirit power. This is what Jesus did and he taught us to do that. In fact, Jesus said in John 10 verse 37 and 38. He said, if I do not do the works of my father, don't believe what I say. You know, Jesus did speak parables, but he did more healing and miracles than the parables he spoke. And he challenges people. He said, if I don't do miracles, don't believe my message. Not too many preachers would do that today. Paul himself stood by that same standard. He said, Our preaching and teaching is not with persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit of power, spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said, When I came preaching, I didn't come with great, great oratory skills. I didn't come with you know, great persuasive words. But I came demonstrating the power of the Spirit. That's our ancient landmark, church. And this is, this is the ancient landmark with which we need to measure contemporary preaching. Don't allow the skillful oratory and the grand multimedia presentation fool you into thinking that that's all there is to ministering the Word of God. Jesus is our standard. And He said that our preaching of the Word must be accompanied by the miracles and the supernatural demonstrations of signs. This is the best transformational experience you can ever give to anybody who walks through the door of the church. An encounter with the supernatural power of God. It's far more powerful than the video. It's powerful, more powerful than the props we have on stage. It's far more powerful than apologetics. It's far more powerful than great preaching. An encounter with the supernatural power of God. This is the direction that you and I as a church must move into. I am not saying that we must not use modern technology. Let's use it. Let's use the videos. Let's use 
everything we can do to impact all the senses that God has given to us. Let's use it. But let's stay focused on the Word and the power of the Spirit. Let's balance the two. Let's not move the ancient landmark. Let's be in, in step with the new world. Let's engage the culture. But let's not use our ancient landmark. Amen. We've reached the boundary. Here ends the message. I want to call us to a place of commitment. As an individual, I invite you to commit yourself to living by these ancient landmarks. Something inside you should say, you know, I'm a believer. There are ancient landmarks that God has set for me which I cannot remove. There are sacred boundaries that I cannot cross. And there are godly traditions I must not lose. I also want to invite you and me to commit ourselves to carrying these ancient landmarks into the world. It's good to have it in church, but I think where it's really needed is in the world. The world is changing. And they need somebody who can keep it from disintegrating. They need the people who will be salt. They need people who will be light. They need people who say, in a changing world, I'm not afraid to abide by ancient landmarks. I'm not afraid to live within sacred boundaries. I'm not afraid to stand by godly traditions. The world needs people like that. And thirdly, I want to call you and me. I think this is a great responsibility. That you and I must accurately transmit these ancient landmarks to the generation that's coming behind us. The millennials. Our kids and teens. They need to know that there are ancient landmarks that must not be moved. They need to know that in their new world, there are still sacred boundaries that they cannot cross. They need to know that in their new world, there are godly traditions they must not lose. And so the responsibility is on you and me to accurately transmit this to them. And I believe the best way that we can do it is by being an example. They need to see it in you and me. They need to see these ancient landmarks. They need to see the sacred boundaries. They need to see these godly traditions in you and me. And when we are gone, we can know that in their new world, they will continue within those ancient landmarks. They will continue within those sacred boundaries. They will continue with those godly traditions. Amen. Let's take a few moments here just to pray. Let's call the worship team up. You can remain seated, please. The worship team can come up. And as they play, I want you to just take a few moments to pray about what you heard this morning. Pray about these three things. God, I want to be a person. All right, I think all of us are tired of sitting, so let's stand up. Amen. Pray about this thing, say, God, I want to step into this new world. I don't want to run away from it. I don't want to avoid it. I want to explore this new world. I want to understand this new culture around me. And I want to even engage it. I want to employ it. It's okay if you dress like them as long as you don't violate an ancient landmark. It's okay if you smell like them. As long as you don't break an ancient landmark concerning smelling. Just joking. It's okay to engage and employ this new world. And yet as you step into the world, as Jesus said, I'm sending you into the world. As you stand here this morning, I want you to pray in your heart saying, God, I want to enjoy this new culture. I want to explore it. I want to engage it. And yet inside me, 
I want to be a person who will not remove the ancient landmark 